Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime, and this week, an update on the state's appeal of Anand Syed's vacated conviction. We'll also chat about the latest episode of Missing Richard Simmons. And then we'll look at HBO's newest whodunit miniseries, Big Little Lies. So joining me right now is the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and Subaru-driving super dad, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. I'm gonna, you'll notice that when I drink my glass, I'm using two hands. Just like the president. Oh, okay. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed PI, and totally non-competitive Monterey mom, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. <laughs> Hello. Also rounding out the panel is the very talented noir novelist and tell-it-like-it-is champion, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Appa Kabar, Rebecca. <laughs> Whoa. I feel Whoa. like we went next level there. Uh, what was that? That was apparently How Are You in Bahasa, Indonesian. Wow. wow. Where did wow. you get that little like linguistic tip, Toby? From Joy Elizabeth, a Twitter buddy. I've got a few recommendations after I said, what's your name, Rebecca, last week? Oh, and then you thought it meant something else? <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I, I was kind of I usually like do these things off the top of my head, and I was thinking back to 20 years ago when I took German at the Department of Agriculture. And wait, wait, wait! You know what? I don't want to know the backstory there, but can we just pause for a second and discuss the fact that Toby took German at the Department of Agriculture? <laughs> just, <laughs> Let's just all rest on. It's that. all about hops, and you know, <laughs> if you live in D.C., the Department of Agriculture does have these language classes. Hmm. And they're pretty cheap. And I took German with my friend Matt, and we would go out drinking quite a bit before class, <laughs> and, which then 20 years later leads to me asking you what your name is instead of saying. How do you say, where so, is a cab? Where is yeah, Exactly. So now you're basically crowdsourcing your greetings for our podcast. Yeah. Well, I actually wow. have another, like, I don't want to say crowdsource, but sort of like weird podcast fan thing to tell you guys about. Okay. So you guys know who Sam Evans Brown is. The three of you do, right? Yeah, he's mm -hmm. the host mm -hmm. of Outside In. Yes, he works at NHPR. He's a award-winning environmental reporter, and he's the host of the amazing podcast Outside In. He's been like, a guest on this podcast. Oh, like what, like yeah. two years ago? He mm -hmm. was on our podcast. But by the way, our listeners, if you're not listening to Outside In, the podcast, if you ever like stepped a foot outside in your life, you should listen to that podcast because <laughs> it's great. <laughs> So I was walking by his little uh, cubicle. So you're at saying work. That Richard Simmons shouldn't listen to that podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, he should because maybe it'll inspire him to maybe take a step outside. Okay. Anyway, so I was walking by his cube uh, the other day at work, and he stopped me and said, "Hey, Rebecca, I met your biggest fan uh, yesterday," and I was like. Okay, that's awesome. But then he went on to tell me that, like, one of our biggest fans is one of the, like, nation's leading maple syrup scientists. Wow. Who lives oh. in Vermont. I tap that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and she apparently listens to our show, loves our show. And uh, I just texted Tam Sam earlier tonight to see if I could find out, like, who she is. But, um, guys, scientists listen to our show. Sam said that this woman was so smart that he didn't understand, like, half of the things she was talking about. Did he say hi in Swahili, or? No, she's just really smart. Gotcha. She's even smarter than Sam. 
So what do you guys think? We actually have smart listeners. Toby, does that surprise you? It's hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Laura? Are you surprised? Well, I'm just surprised that there's a maple syrup scientist. You know, I grew up in Vermont. My brother was like the maple king of our county. So um, wait, I've had wait, some maple what? syrup. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's true. We had to go on like the local fair circuit where they sang like maple songs. And I did get some maple beer. And it's <laughs> disgusting. Maple songs. I just feel like I know we let the whole Toby taking German at the Department of Agriculture go. <laughs> but is the maple king, is that like a, like a beauty pageant situation for boys? It's not like a beauty pageant. It was like he was like the young maple syrup maker of our county. So oh. he was like the maple king because he was industrious as a young man making maple syrup. So we had to go around. And, but there were some girls that, you know, did have a thing for him when he was the maple king. Every time Laura talks about her childhood, do you not feel like you want to shoot yourself in the face for how <laughs> shitty your childhood was in comparison? Yes or no, Kevin? Uh, no, mine was pretty shitty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel like I grew up on Long Island, New York. The only time I went for a walk, it was in the mall. So I don't know, Laura, you had a hayloft to hide and hide and seek. Your brother yeah. was the maple syrup prince of whatever yeah, county. Orange County. Yep. <laughs> you had no neighbors who could hear you scream when the murderers came, I'm assuming, right? The, the closest neighbor was a mile away. Yeah. I don't know. I think your childhood sounds pretty great. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the maple beer helped. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to, um, we actually have a double one of these segments tonight. So do you want to like say number yeah. one of this one, Kevin? Number one, number true, one crime true crime podcast, podcast update. So Kevin Flynn, um, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I've been really busy this week between family stuff and work stuff. What the fuck happened in the Adnan Syed case this week? Can you fill us in? Yeah, the state had a chance to file its motions in the appeal of the vacating of Adnan's... <laughs> what are you laughing at me for? The layers of the justice system. <laughs> it's insane. It is insane. I right. think we've talked about this a hundred times. Right. So It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> this is the state's chance to argue to a higher court that the lower court got it wrong when... It vacated Adnan's conviction and ordered a, a new trial. This was... By the way, I just want to interrupt. I'm going to get a hate mail right now for laughing about this thing that happened in the Adnan Syed case, aren't I? Because I like thought it was funny and... <laughs> I don't, I don't think, why would oh, you? I'm, I'm just going to like um, compose oh. the hate mail right now in my uh, head. Dear Rebecca, how dare you make light a man's life is at stake. Yes, I know. I know. And I'm friends with Rabia Chaudhary. I think she would understand. There are so many steps in this process. It's insane, right? It's like Groundhog Day. Toby, am I wrong? Is it's not insane? It, it's insane. <laughs> All right. So, Kevin, so what happened this week? Okay, so the state filed its paperwork. The defense uh, will be able to respond and file its in the near future. Essentially, there are three main arguments that the state is uh, making to say that the lower court judge erred. Uh, the first, uh, the post-conviction court abused its discretion when it reopened proceedings to consider a novel and timely claim, blah, 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 blah. That means that basically they're saying that the 10-year time limit ran out for making the claim. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, the 10-year time limit ran out now? Like they never no, made that, well, no he was that remember, he was convicted in 99. Right. So by 2009, he had to have made these claims, the claims about uh, their argument that he didn't make the claim about Asia McLean or the cell tower evidence or something until 2005. No, but he had in previous... Great, I just have but, a question. Wait. No, but here's my question. Okay. At this point, is the state just like reaching into file drawers and looking for old law that they can just like pull out and use? Perhaps. Okay. Perhaps. If you were, say, a Colin Miller, you would probably say something along the lines that the and, and the actually the lower court judge addressed this because he said that if you file a new amendment to a timely filed appeal, that doesn't stop the clock. Okay. It, it, it doesn't shut the door. So they're saying the judge was wrong about that. They're also saying that Adnan uh, waived his claim of ineffective assistance long ago. That was something that we talked about. He, he did about whether or not he intelligently and knowingly waived the claim. And the big one is that Gutierrez's challenge to the state cell phone evidence more than satisfied the Sixth Amendment. Essentially, they're pointing to the fact that even though Christina Gutierrez didn't cross-examine the expert witness about the cover sheet, that doesn't mean it was ineffective 
assistance of counsel. Courts usually find that any decisions about a cross-examination, who to question, what to question about, has everything to do with trial strategy. But again, if you say you were a Colin Miller and you didn't know any of this stuff and so you just looked at his blog so you prepare for your podcast... You would Wait, say, are you, are you quoting legal theory right now? Uh, yeah, yeah. You would say that, that all the cases that the state of Maryland points to are out of Georgia. However, those all deal with lay witnesses, yeah. and that it's different with an expert witness, and that federal courts have, have always ruled that if the state presents an expert witness, counsel is ineffective if he fails to properly challenge the expert witness. <sighs> so so this is uh, that's where we are, and we'll see what Justin and the defense team files in response to the state's filing. And thus concludes the latest chapter in the never-ending cross-filing in this case that everyone just wants to either go to trial again or get sent to an Alfred play, right? Is there like any like TV drama that's like appeals court? (laughs) (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. Because this is like... Here comes the plaintiff. Dun-dun-dun. Well, here's the question. It's really pretty... It's it's pretty dry and... uh, isn't this just what happens in every case and we're only following us closely because it's this case? Laura, doesn't this happen like in every case where there has been like a conviction and a potentially wrongful conviction? Like this, you know, this paperwork back and forth, filings back and forth. I mean, it's not unusual, yeah. right? No, this happens all the time. I mean, because there's always like, okay, they file their motion. Then you have 30 days to file a counter motion. And there's always something. I mean, you always have to argue something back. So it just goes on and on and on until hopefully a judge is going to put a stop to it at some point. But no, this is very common. It's just, it's frustrating. Do defendants get like, is this like an automatic thing? Or do you have to have the cash to uh, pay a lawyer to, to do all these appeals? There's automatically the right to file a response to any motion that the other side files in in certain circuit, you know, so it it is, you know, as long as you still have a lawyer. But then, you know, we we all are familiar with some of our favorite pro se defense people here in New Hampshire who (laughs) file many motions on their own. And uh, we do have one very uh, infamous or not so infamous convicted murderer who's now filing a lot of motions on behalf of uh, folks in the New Hampshire State Prison. So, I mean, this can just go on and on, I think. You know, I feel like Laura refers to that guy a lot. And for Kevin, we don't want to, like, talk about him on Laura's behalf. But on our behalf, we wrote a book about this guy, Seth Bader, who is a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Convicted of murdering his wife. Mm-hmm. The book's called Legally Dead. Yes. You can you, find it on Amazon and all Amazon. your finest book yeah. writers. Go to our uh, website, Crime Writers On. <laughs> Click the Amazon link. <laughs> but this guy has now become like the jailhouse lawyer for all of the other inmates. In the That's the advantage house. of having a lawyer in jail. <laughs> prison. Pri- yeah, in prison. Right. But I, I don't know. What, what, the, what strikes me here is that everything that happens in this case makes news. I actually think that's good. Because what it is showing people who have become interested in the criminal justice system because of the Adnan Syed case is that the criminal justice system is insane with the process and the abilities to sort of extend and defer and file. Every time something gets filed, something gets delayed. Yeah, in essence, and yeah, things get delayed because... Because every filing comes with a deadline of what, 30 days, 90 days, or six months, depends, or whatever. but yeah, right. And then they have to schedule dates to schedule dates. Right. And things like that. I mean, there'll be oral, oral arguments in this appeal will happen in June. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be a lot of paperwork before them. You also have to remember... None of this stuff that's happened either in the PCR or in this upcoming hearing has anything to do with whether or not Adnan Syed killed Heyman Lee. Right. None of the evidence. Process. This is, it's all about process. It's all about was everything done correctly by the attorneys and now by the judge and then by this court when it goes to a higher court. It's just going to be appealed and appealed until they're all exhausted. To answer Toby's questions about money and like, can anybody just afford this? Nope. Well, hey, <laughs> the downside of winning a new trial is you got to pay for a new trial. Not just That's a new just, trial. It's like but sending your second kid to college. Not just a new trial, but all the hearings and delays yeah. and cross appeals that happen in the meantime. It could be years, years of writing, research. Like you are paying somebody hundreds of dollars an hour to do all this stuff. Now, I happen to know now I've met him at Nunsayed's current attorney, Justin Brown. He's not in it to like be a rich guy, but it costs money. It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And it's costing also the taxpayers of Maryland like a lot of money, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So do you want to move on to uh, the number sure. two thing? True crime True podcast, crime update. podcast update. update number two. <laughs> All right. It's not technically a true crime. Let's be honest. It's just missing Richard Simmons. (laughs) But I haven't felt recently in the last year or so that we could cover a podcast week to week. And I'm not saying that we're going to do that. But last week we talked about Missing Richard Simmons, the Dan Taberski podcast about the fitness mogul who has been holed up in his home for three years and is missed by many, many people. Called Missing Richard Simmons, still, by the way, the number one podcast on iTunes, in no small part, I think, because of our listeners like tuning into Missing Richard Simmons after our podcast last week. Yeah, our smart listeners. So, uh, Toby and Laura, have you listened to the new episode that dropped this week of Missing Richard Simmons? Yes. Yes. This week, episode three of Missing Richard Simmons dropped. By the way, Missing Richard Simmons has been written up by many publications in the last week or so, many saying that it really is the best written, best presented narrative podcast since Serial Season 1. And a lot of them do address the ethical issues that Toby raised uh, in our show last week. But I just want to talk about the content on Episode 3 of Missing Richard Simmons. I feel like... We've been kind of set up for this with some teases. This week we heard from one side of an apparently dueling duo that is uh, Mauro Oliveira, Richard Simmons' masseuse, and his story. And as we heard from Dan Taberski, the host of Missing Richard Simmons, he and Teresa, Richard Simmons' housekeeper, who may or may not be keeping him hostage in his home, hate each other. Toby, I want to go to you first. One of the things that struck me about this week's episode of Missing Richard Simmons was his introduction and cameos of two people. Dan Taberski briefly brought in his husband quickly to sort of corroborate a story. And then he also brought in his mom to read <laughs> uh, Morrow, <laughs> the masseuses, his fairy tale of Richard Simmons that is for sale on Amazon as an as expensive ebook, as we heard. What do you think of Dan's use of these two voices and the sparing way that he used them in this podcast? I would just love to hear your take on, on how the story was told this week. You know, they, they served two different purposes. One was adding a second corroborating voice to the story about going to dinner at Richard Simmons. And then I'm not completely clear why why he had his mom read that. She did a very nice job. She's a second grade Uh, teacher. She's a second grade teacher. Who else would read that? She did a great job. I think I would pay to hear his mom read the e-book of, was it King Rich? King Rich. And the evil Uh, witch? Yes. Yes. On Audible. And, no, I'm sorry. Uh, psych. <laughs> not an ad. All, all I could think of when I heard that, his mom, there's no reason for her to be there, right? Mm-hmm. But he's like, no, no, no. It's only one person who can do this. <laughs> That's my mom. <laughs> because she, she's read all of these stories to me. I mean, I don't know. I thought the introduction of those two random cameos as characters worked really well in the storytelling. But, Laura, I got to say, this entire episode, episode three of Missing Richard Simmons, all I could think about was you, because the episode was really about Teresa, was it not? <laughs> it was. And, and I have to say, it also, you know, plays into my love of the conspiracy theories, because not only was it about Teresa, it was a, like Teresa and, and the chickens getting their head cut off. And it wasn't her that was doing it. It was someone else. And um, it just the intrigue was amazing this week um, in terms of what is going on in that house. So, yes, it was. this was definitely a week that was right up my alley. Now, Kevin, we heard from the uh, New York reporter who had written about Richard Simmons disappearing, and he wrote about Morrow's story, the masseuse's story, where he had called the cops. He's the one who called the LAPD right. to check yep. on the elder abuse claim, and he is the one who described Richard Simmons as sitting there trembling and saying that Teresa was controlling everything, and then he described his relationship with Simmons and them going to his hometown and Richard Simmons paying for the well for the orphans and blah, 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 blah. Yes. And then we hear this reporter fact-checked every detail of the story and Dan Taberski says, I'm going to let the black magic thing go, (laughs) but everything else plays. What did you think about that part of the podcast, the actual reporting part of that podcast? I want to know more about the black magic, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Took a whole chicken and did what to it? (laughs) It's cultural. That's the news I want to read about. It's cultural. It's cultural, yeah. I find that he definitely finds lots of interesting people, people who have gotten close to him, and then sort of the, I don't want to say the cliffhanger, but the tease for episode four is about Richard's younger brother. 
And why did it not occur to me that, yes, Richard has relatives in addition to friends? And how do they fit into this puzzle? I found the whole Morrow voice very interesting because he was very close to Richard. I think Dan does a very good job skirting the were they or weren't they the sexuality question in a relationship yeah, right, right, thing. Yeah. He basically just makes a good case for them being companions slash friends slash maybe something else. You know, this is somebody who would know. The reason we know about this story, aside from this podcast, is because of this guy who contacted the authorities and said that there's really something wrong here. There are no Christmas lights. What's up? Toby, do you think that Mara was right to call the cops? I mean, do you think he did the right thing in talking to Dan for this podcast? I know it's two questions, but what do you think? As I thought about it more, you know, I think the real issue, because, you know, there's all these interesting people around Richard Simmons. He's obviously an interesting character. It's really, it's the finding part that I find kind of bothersome. If it was just, this is the deal with Richard Simmons, and then he disappeared, and we don't know why, that to me is absolutely fine. So, you know, as long as Morrow's not trying to lead them to him, and I guess if anybody has the sort of standing to make a judgment about that, it would be him and Teresa. But he's a weird, I mean, he's a weird cat that fairy tales bizarre. <laughs> and then the black magic thing, mm-hmm. when he was talking about that, it's I was just, just their thinking, culture, you know, Toby. well, I was just thinking, you know, how many through the ages, how many particularly women have been burned at the stake because somebody's had mental illness and somebody else has been like, that witch is like sent a curse on this person or put a demon in this person. Right. You know, it seemed like this very sort of pre-science era. It's not really a diagnosis, but a belief about what had happened. Like, I actually kind of found that a little bit chilling Mm -hmm. in that if other people felt the same way, this woman, Teresa, who, you know, we don't know anything about what her deal is, but, you know, it's a burn the witch. I'll tell you the thing that bothered me most about, not didn't bother me about Dan's podcast because I still totally am in love with it. But when uh, we heard Mara describe his final encounter with Richard, his description of him on the floor trembling, one of the things that's kind of been in the back of my mind just because of the work that we're doing here in New Hampshire in my newsroom is opioid addiction. I think this has come up a lot as a theory around Richard because, you know, he had that knee surgery. Mm-hmm. and You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people are not doing so great with fentanyl prescriptions uh, in particular, what he described a little bit sounded to me like maybe that might be what's going on. But then at the same time, I'm sort of like Dan called the agent and the agent mm-hmm. was like, no, none of that is happening. So I I don't really know. But that did pop into my mind when I, when I heard this episode. And I wondered if Mara was trying to stage some sort of like weird intervention. I don't know. But then the witchcraft thing came out. So, so, so I mean, I guess, Laura, my question for you is... Um, you still in? You still dying to know what the fuck happened to Richard Simmons? You still going to listen to this podcast? I am like all in. And it's funny, my whole family is all in. Yes. Um, we listened. It's hysterical. So I was like, you know, you kind of wonder about should you let your kids listen to things? So like I let my son watch Stranger Things a couple months ago. So we listened to the Richard Simmons podcast on the way to vacation. And both of them are totally into it. Like, you know, what's going on? And I do find it interesting. I feel like we've got different people connected to Richard trying to send him these messages. Like we've got Morrow trying to like hoping he'll read this book. Now we've got Dan sending him the FedEx with the message. Um, (laughs) So if this doesn't do it, I don't know what will. And then I may put a little more stock in the witch theory. (laughs) It's like an episode of the Black Tapes. What do you think, Toby? Are you still in? Are you still going to continue to listen even when I'm not making you do it? Yeah, I'll listen. I mean, I think, again, it's like, if you, if you took away the fact that they're trying to, like, invade his privacy, you know, all the rest of it's awesome the, the background about him and the people they talk to is all is all really interesting. Well, look, if Richard really wanted his privacy in his mansion, he would shop at Select Blinds, <laughs> where you can choose between getting new blinds or holding on to your life savings. You don't have to choose between those two things. You can... Get that fear ends now thanks to selectblinds.com. Just give me a second so I can put the music on. Jesus Christ, that was fast. With Select Blinds, do it yourself doesn't have to mean going it alone. For added peace of mind, their specialists will walk you through how to measure, choose, and install your new window coverings. And that way you don't have to worry about pesky uh, Ex masseuses. Any uh, the LAPD black magic spells being <laughs> cast outside. They won't be able to see you through those high quality custom blind shades and drapes. And you know they have over a million 
happy customers. Wow, a million sounds like a lot. Yeah, and no black magic among them, so, as far as we can tell. And one of those Lucky Blinds website and the curtains, by the way. They have curtains, too, and they're pretty freaking nice. Just going to say that. Yeah, is that something that you would hang on a window? It is. Well, duh. That's why Select Blinds has them. It's not just blinds. It's all kinds of window dressing. Selectblinds.com really is the simple and smart way to get blinds. So shop today at Selectblinds.com. Mention our show at checkout and get sample swatches of the room darkening blinds or shades of your choice absolutely free. Selectblinds.com. Mention our show. Selectblinds.com. Mention our Mention show. Mention our show. What's our show called? Crime Writers. <laughs> I had to stop for a second. Just saying. Yeah. And Richard won't have to worry about those podcasters snooping around the recycling bin if he gets Simply Safe. <laughs> With an arsenal of sensors to protect your entire home and keep your family safe, Simply Safe is an extra layer of protection that will put your mind at ease. You know what they have now at Simply Safe? They, they've just released a brand new high definition security camera and it connects your security system to your smartphone. Oh, what could go wrong? Ooh, what nothing. could go wrong? Nothing. Ooh, that <laughs> That's could be amazing. Fun. It's I like mean, a nanny cam. It, yes, it is. For your house. For your whole house. Yes, this is good. I can keep up on what's happening. You can see when the delivery man comes and if he's really a delivery okay. man. And everything is just going to put your mind at ease. And you know what also will put your mind at ease? There are no long-term contracts or hidden feeds. So you won't get gouged by Simply Safe. Not like those other guys. It's only 15 bucks a month, and that's about three times less than what other companies are charging. $15 a month? Yeah, $15 a month. <laughs> I think I pay more than that for stuff I don't even use. Yeah, and you would use this. You would feel good because... I think I would feel good. <laughs> Because a couple times at night, you hear a little thing go... When did you get that for us? Please get that for us. Okay. All right. All right. We'll sign up, and I'm going to go and check out Simply Safe and get their new camera today. I will get an exclusive 10% discount. Well, it's not really exclusive. Anybody in our audience can get it. <laughs> 10% discount by going to simplysafe.com slash criminal. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I, safe.com slash criminal. Criminal. Simply with an I, safe.com slash. Simply already has an I, but this has two I's. S I M P L I dot com. Simply safe. S I M P L I S A F E. Simply safe is mad at you now, all right? Dot <laughs> com slash. We just take criminal. this from the top. <laughs> no, we cannot. All right, so. I want to move on to um, the meat of our podcast. This is the time where we talk about the thing that we've watched, slashed, listened to, slashed, watched, and uh, review it. And this week we're talking about an HBO thing. It is called Big Little Lies because HBO has done it once again, hooking us in by rolling out a new murder mystery limited series with an A-list cast. Big Little Lies is adapted from Leanne Moriarty's book, Told in Flashback. We follow the story of several wealthy moms, their family complications. <sighs> complications is an understatement. And the path that leads to the show's undisclosed killer and victim. Now, one disclaimer. Has anyone on this panel read the book? I have not. Laura, have you read the book? I have not. Toby, have you read the book? No. Uh, Kevin, you? You know I have not read the book. Okay, so none of us knows who the killer or the murder victim is in the book. So we might sound really stupid to people no, who've read the book, we're right? just going to talk about it like it's a TV show, okay. and we don't know the answer, because we don't. You mean people aren't going to be douchey like those Game of Thrones people that read all the books <laughs> and are like, Red Wedding, of course I saw that coming. Or like those people who didn't actually read them or listen to the audiobooks like you, and was like, oh, well when I read, I'm like, you didn't read anything, you just listened. <laughs> Here's my question, guys. Big Little Lies. I think all of us who watch HBO saw the ads. Did any of you think this was actually marketed as a murder mystery or maybe like a chick show? Laura, what do you think? Were you surprised when you actually started watching Big Little Lies and saw that it was, in fact, a super dark murder mystery? Yeah, I was actually very surprised because they've been previewing this show for quite some time. I mean, at least a year we've been seeing ads for the show, I'd say. And and it looked like, OK, here's, you know, and it's got a lot of big names. We're seeing Nicole Kidman. Reese Witherspoon. So I'm thinking, oh, this is some kind of like sex chick lit kind of show. So I was not expecting it to be so dark when we got going. I want to talk about the genre. Toby, you read a lot. Domestic noir, domestic mystery is something we've heard a lot about in the last few years. It's kind of become like the hot genre. 
This show is pretty much like domestic noir apex murder mystery, right? With a healthy dose of satire thrown in. <laughs> we'll talk about that. You know, I I don't think I have anything very original to say. It's just it's sort of sending up these sort of ultra competitive moms and and how they are competitive with each other. But then they're also sort of competitive in sort of a strange way with their children. I'm kind of interested to see you're sort of introduced or at least hinted at sort of these these traumas that these different women have, like Nicole Kidman, you certainly get that. And then the single woman with the with the child. Jane. Mm-hmm. That's hinted at. You know, I'm interested to see if Reese Witherspoon also has some traumatic backstory. You know, it's always hard to predict what people are going to write, but I wonder if part of her having a hard time kind of letting go of her ex-husband is now that he's got this totally chilled out younger wife whether that's made a change in him and and she's kind of reflecting on whatever happened during their marriage. So, yeah, I, I think it's it, the start has been very promising. Now, one of the things that's kind of occurred to me as uh, the first couple episodes of this series have unfolded is that we have some prototypical women characters, right? So I'm just going to go through the characters real quick. Reese Witherspoon plays Madeline. Nicole Kidman plays Celeste. Shalane Woodley plays Jane. And Zoe Kravitz plays Bonnie. Laura Dern plays Renata. So in uh, Madeline's character, we have the super overachieving cheerleader mom character. Nicole Kidman's character is like the beautiful, statuesque, mysterious ex-successful, now dedicated herself to being a stay-at-home mom character. Mm -hmm. Shalane Woodley is the scrappy, not-rich, single mom character. And um, Zoe Kravitz is like the earth mother, yoga teacher, second wife, stepmom. Laura Dern is the hyper-successful on the board of Facebook, etc., Silicon Valley, has nannies, uh, the dad uh, in that family doesn't even understand what's going on in his family because she's such a, like someone shows up at her house in the morning to do her makeup mom. Like she's that one. So I feel like it is like almost like a caricature of different types of mothers where if you are are a parent and have ever been to any school event (laughs) or the gym or anything, you see in lesser variations like these kinds of people who you sort of wonder about. I mean, Laura, is that striking you too that like, these characters, even though they're extreme, are also familiar. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, and you hate to say that you stereotype other parents, but you totally do. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm awful. You know, now that I go to the gym, I'm like, ah, oh, here's some moms who don't work, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like, well, what am I doing here? I'm like, well, I work at home. I work. I do. Um, I have a podcast. It, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I read about chocolate for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these characters, that they are very stereotypical mother characters. I mean, Reese Witherspoon's character is like, I mean, right from the beginning. She is just like the PTO mom on crack or something. And, and, you know, in the first scene when she jumps out of her car and and goes to, you know, make things right that were done to her. But it it definitely, I think, is exploring, you know, because I think when you're a parent, no matter what side or especially a mother, no matter what side you fall on, whether you're the working mother, the stay at home mother, the combination mother, you're always hypersensitive, I think, to a degree to the other types of mothers and whether they're judging you and what they're saying about you. And I think that that is something that is really going to be explored or so far, that's what I feel is going to be explored in the show amidst the murder in the darkness. You talked about earlier domestic noir. Yeah. So I, I think this mm-hmm. is mommy noir, that it's all about, you know, sort of the lives of quiet desperation that many mothers live and makes for fodder in the sense of something that could be very dark. And these, the way you write these could be these mothers are stand-ins for rival mob gangs or uh, political figures. And it, it still has that sort of sense of tension. And I think that when they use their children as foils, I think there's an awful lot there. We think that domestic life is pretty vanilla but you know they call this show big little lies Mm -hmm. you know and there's all these lies that that they tell the world and that they tell themselves right and that's where the real story is well one of the things that actually gives me hope because by the way when you were saying it's not domestic it's mommy like i kind of wanted to smack in the face a little bit because it just seemed like a little (laughs) bit like 
you know what? If it weren't for mommy, blah, 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 like you wouldn't have had a dinner tonight, my friend. No, but but it's different it than, you. but girl on a train <laughs> and gone girl no, those, is, is, have is, you is actually a, read girl on a train? It's different from That's this about where moms. It is 100% okay, about read, moms. No, I didn't read Girl on a Train. Because by the way, I had a thing. By the way, moms were also, are just women. It's just about women and the dynamics between women. And by the way, I kind of like have a little bit of an issue with women being characterized as moms. I mean, I, I brought it up in that way. But like, uh-huh. because I think this show, one of the things that it does in the first episode, which I think is really interesting, the reason that we characterize them as moms is because we do see them, the political dynamic that is set up and the crime that is framed sort of without our knowing what it is, we know that it's parallel to whatever's going on with the kids. So the fact that they're moms is like sort of put in our face that way, right? Narratively speaking. One of the most interesting things that happens in episode one is that Jane, the new character that shows up in Monterey, California, is immediately embraced by Madeline, played by Reese Witherspoon, and then she brings her friend, played by Nicole Kidman, along. The three of them have coffee together. And then they're like a clutch, like period. They have it. They form an alliance. On the outside of the alliance is the stepmom, like the new uh-huh. wife of one of their husbands, and the uh, uh, Renata, the super successful one. These are just women. They're just people. You know what I mean? The mom thing to me is um, it's a device, but it's not necessarily the center of it. I don't know. That's just my but opinion. Something happens that makes one of them kill the other. Right. And, and so it and so us, that's why well, everything else well, by the way, is, yeah. we don't know if one of them kills the other. We don't know who's We dead. don't know. It could okay, be one we of the don't dads. know. And and, and, you know who why? Got, and who got killed in the book may not be who got killed in the book. You know why we don't show. know? Because none of us read the fucking book. Yeah, none of us read the book. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to get the book now. I no, can't take it. By the it. way, I can't take it, it is on Wikipedia. You could just look it up if you wanted yeah. to. But I have like resisted <sighs> temptation. All right. So I just want to throw this out there. We're seeing something in this show that is the same as one of our all all-time favorite crime fiction dramas that is True Detective Season 1, where the framing device is the police interrogation. Mm. HBO has done this to us before, where they have used uh, people sitting in that uh, police interview chair as Mm -hmm. the narrators. Toby, we saw True Detective Season 1. Those police interrogation scenes, they were a little different than like the way they're showing on this series. But what do you think of the, the police interrogation scene as the framing device to tell a story like this? You know, I, I mean, it seems like this one's more so the Greek chorus. You know, it's providing a little bit of commentary or whatever, but it's not sort of a central feature. Like, you don't walk away talking about that aspect of the show, I don't think. Whereas in True Detective... You know, that was a lot of it, especially Matthew McConaughey looking back on what had happened. So, I, you know, I think it's different. They're trying not to do like a voiceover to explain things. So they have these little snippets. It strikes me as a little bit lazy, but, you know, it, it's fine. I mean, it goes by quickly. Toby's right. It's a combination sort of of, of using the flashback narrative device. But unlike in True Detective where it's two guys and they really are sort of telling the story and sometimes it's their version and sometimes it's someone else's it really is like you said different voices commenting and we think that the story that we're being seen is a compilation of all these other people but isn't it also a way to sort of advance the character development and narrative because those people yeah yeah, Laura I mean those people in the interrogation chair say Madeline is this kind of person and Mm -hmm. I think for me this has sort of served to heighten the suspense in this mystery because we know somebody's been killed we don't know who we know it occurred it was like the PTO ball fundraiser event trivia night Um, so you know for me it was serving to keep the suspense up as we're looking at like the characters in the beginning before this happened and then we're hearing kind of reflections about the characters from different people and we keep hearing kind of conflicting information and then you'll get like a little nugget of something that makes you think somebody isn't quite what they you know appear to be or there might be another little wrinkle in what's going on with them so for me it kind of kept the story the pace going a little bit more I guess when I when I was watching that I was thinking you could just as easily have had one of the female characters doing voiceover and making all those points. And it would have done the same thing for the narrative. And what they decided to do, because voiceovers are, you know, people don't like them, is they decided to do it this way. But, and, do, but, but it was don't you think that a voiceover may have given us clues about the mystery that they're trying to yeah. not reveal? I mean, I think you could say almost exactly the same things in a voiceover. 
depending on which character you took. It's just a way of getting little shortcuts rather than having to show everything. Mm-hmm. See, I, I, I have another take on it as well. Because we're talking about Gone Girl and Girl on a Train. I mean, and in this domestic noir genre, you know, this this could be another example of unreliable narrators. Mm-hmm. And who are we going to believe that's in that police interrogation room? And, you know, we're being given facts. They may not be the accurate facts. Um, so I think it's throwing a little bit more into the mix to confuse us. But one of the things that's happened is we haven't seen any of the main characters in any of those interrogations. We've only seen sort of like ancillary side scene setting characters. Well, the, the thing that's it, it's sort of leaving the table open to anyone of the main or supporting actors that we've been following could be the victim and any of them could be the killer. I, I want to talk about Reese Witherspoon for a second. All right. I feel like Reese Witherspoon has made... By the way, a damn successful career as an actress and a producer, but she sort of found her niche in movies like Election and Legally Blonde, playing sort of the precise, deliberate, uh, I am doing this because I meant to, little lady. And, you know, one of the lines she says in the show is, uh, what is it, Laura? I love my grudges. Oh, I I tend to them like little pets. (laughs) I love that line. I I can relate to that. Well, why why can you relate to it? There are times I hold on to things like grim death. So when she said that, I was like, oh, I understand where she's coming from. <laughs> so do you find yourself relating the most to the uh, Reese Witherspoon character in this show? Um, not so much. I mean, I like I, I definitely feel myself connecting to her. And I like the single mother character because I feel like she's a little more vulnerable. So I feel like you kind of feel a little bit more connected to her as you're watching her. Right, but she is insurgent, right? Divergent. And she does have a gun. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, one of the things I think is interesting is that the way the children in this show, you know, we're seeing snippets of the kids. They're sort of, you know, the accessories to the main female characters and the male characters. too. We we shouldn't, like, just let go of the fact that the big things that are happening now we see in these characters' lives are Reese Witherspoon is remarried. We'll talk about the location porn in a second, but everyone lives in like these beautiful beach houses. But she's remarried to Adam Scott, who's like the nice guy, programmer, best friend in high school character. And then we have Nicole Kidman in this very tempestuous, physically and emotionally abusive relationship. It's really intense, I think, intensified by the setting that they live in. But let's talk about the children for a second. The kids are sort of used also as narrative devices in the same sort of way the police interrogations are where we sort of see the dramas with the kids scenes with the kids dialogues is with the kids and they're trying to tell us something when they put the kids in these scenes i'm curious to know your thoughts on that and whether or not you've picked up on that at all yeah i mean i i think you you are supposed to think about the relationship of the kids to the parents the two strongest of the kids are reese witherspoon's kid and shailene woodley's kid right Reese Witherspoon's kid, who is who is you know kind of cute and a compelling character. Are you talking about the younger uh, daughter or the older? Yeah, daughter? the younger daughter. The one who like but has a way like, better taste in music than a first grader should yeah, ever I can have. Fucking call bullshit on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's a, that's the whole that's the whole thing is that I she just seems like a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. Like. Well, she is the uh, queen of the class, Toby. If no one, if she doesn't go to the party, no one's gonna go. Right. So I, I, I didn't I don't find her. I, she's like kind of an appealing as an actor. And she doesn't strike me as a very believable character. I think the boy, you know, again, it's hard to know how much people like the writers like you like to give the writers a lot of credit for how they're thinking things through. But the potential for this strangling thing where he he goes and strangles the girl in the class. Allegedly. Allegedly, oh, but if he, but if him. he, if he did do it, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think kids at that age basically have to learn, and that would point towards something that might have happened that he had observed, probably with his mom and whoever was his father, which is why she carries around a gun and they left town, or and another he, child who happens to have some kind of violence going on right. in his or, house. One of those weird little vacuous twins. Creepy twins. Yeah, exactly. Creepy twins. By the way, how creepy are twins, by the way? I'm sorry to all of our listeners who have twins. <laughs> twins? Um, 
in pop so, culture yeah, are I, always creepy, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it is kind of weird. Like you've got the one big personality. You've got this kid who's got you. You sort of see his personality more than the other kids who are basically either kind of vacuous or whiny or shy. One of the things that I want to talk about about this show, because I do think it's one of the things that makes it very appealing, and it's not alone. It's not the first show to do this, but it just does it very, very well. Location porn. Let's talk about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> All these beautiful shots of the beach. The and beach, everything, the houses, yes, everything is the near restaurants the restaurants they yes. go to. Every moment in this show is sort of designed to make us feel like, why the fuck do we live where we live and not where these people live? <laughs> well, setting is is often a very powerful uh, narrative device, and and it's used a lot in literature and on the screen. So, HBO shows use it a lot. Well, they usually spend an awful lot of money going places, so they want to have the. I mean, if you think of Game of Thrones, they shoot in vast ice wastelands and jungle-like parts of Northern Ireland that look like they're still in medieval times. So, yeah, they, they take advantage of the visuals. And it does set, you know, a whole sense of everybody is super well off. Right. Here's the thing that I find weird is that all these parents are are super rich and there's no private school to send them to? No, they explained that in the first episode, that they live in a town where the public school is as good as any yeah, private school would be. but I still think like if the woman who's on like the PayPal board, if her like first grader got choked out, then she'd be like, <laughs> we're going to find a Catholic school to send you to. But, no. And, and by the way, there's only one school in that giant but town? You're, but you're actually like, you're actually like pointing to something that's actually part of the show which is that there is and excuse me liberal friends that might be listening there is a liberal pride in public school in communities like that where public schools are so well funded i'm winking at you right now kevin because we happen to live in one of those communities yes where yes where public schools are so well funded that Yes or no, Kevin, if there were at a private school in the beautiful, well-funded community we live in now, would you choose it over the public school? Yes or no? Honest answer. Uh, no, because I'd have to pay for that but shit. But it's actually, it's, it's a cultural phenomenon. You know, there is a thing where mm-hmm. like there's a pride in that. And I think that's actually part of the undercurrent of this, is that public schools, by the way, are a great setting for fiction, because public schools do, even when they are in Monterey, California, they do mix everyone together, even though, by yeah. the way, everyone is white. Uh, but everyone kind of means everyone. Right. But the, the location porn question that you had, I mean, right. so they, yeah. they said all the rich people are, they all have a view of water, you know, and they have something very nice. And, and they're all walking around with long stem wine glasses unwinding. Oh, and Rich Witherspoon drives a Buick, which I call bullshit on. And then you also have, <laughs> you go to Jane's house, which looks like, little suburban neighborhood. Just an apartment, yeah. You know, and it, you're, you're like, whoa, this is a very different neighborhood than everything that we've seen. And, you know, she's living, she's sleeping on a pull-out couch so that her son can have the one bedroom. It, it's a, it's a, a big difference. And it's amplified by the way that they shoot the lifestyle. Even like when the rich moms go out to a bar to have a glass of wine, it's like the fanciest bar ever. I would tell you something. I'd pay... A lot of money to go to a bar that had like little fires. Yeah. Like, Laura, what do you, let's just talk about it. Let's just gush. Let's talk about the location porn that's going on in this show. Go. Well, you know what this reminds me of? You know, going back to this whole domestic uh, noir sort of genre, this is like Pinterest boards gone awry. Like, think about if you're on Pinterest and you're you're like, oh, look at that house. That looks nice. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that restaurant. Oh, look at, you know, but like Pinterest, I mean, how many times have you clicked a recipe on Pinterest because it looks so great and then you make it and it's an epic fail? <laughs> I think that's the contrast we're seeing here. We're seeing these beautiful homes, this beautiful setting, but that's really, a, a, you know, a sharp contrast compared to what these women's lives are behind the sort of serene, ordered environment that we're seeing. What's you know, it, it's. Yeah, Kevin, get on the. Don't you have like a home decorating ideas on Pinterest or ooh places I want to visit on Pinterest? No, no. Um, now, Laura, before I ask Toby kind of a dark question, just uh, between you and me, whose house do you like better, Reese Witherspoon's house or Nicole Kidman's house? 
I'm going to go with Reese Witherspoon's I'm because with I really love that big kitchen island that they all eat at. Yeah. I'm with, with their the, food uh, that always looks perfect. I'm all about the Nicole Kidman house, mid-century modern, gorgeous. Would not want to sit on any of those chairs, but man, are they beautiful. That walk-in <laughs> closet room is pretty awesome. <laughs> See, that's why I can't go to that house because I was traumatized by that. <laughs> no, Toby, I, I do want to ask you because the, the one big thing that's happening in this show is that we do see... What I think, I think pretty much since Sleeping with the Enemy, which was our big cultural like 1990s touchstone of like a scene of domestic violence, which, by the way, was also shot with very rich people, uh, the wife of whom was also a redhead. There's a lot of similarities for me, like culturally between uh, Sleeping with the Enemy and domestic violence that's portrayed on, on this show. But we do see that very, very, very graphic and difficult scene of domestic violence between Nicole Kidman and... Um, the Sarsgaard brother, Alexander Sarsgaard? who happens yeah. to be uh, the husband on this show. The Sarsgaards, by the way, like, where the fuck did they come from? They're unbelievable. They came, they came from a laboratory, I believe. Yeah, they're unbelievable. But anyway, um, that, that scene, very, very dark, very dismal, I think probably plays into the plot a little bit, but um, also in some ways not really relatable to the kind of domestic violence that many, many millions of people are also experiencing i'm just curious as to your thoughts of the portrayal of domestic violence in the series and how we're supposed to feel about it as an audience i don't know i mean i think it's it's complicated the the impression i got and and we're we're talking about the the sex scene right sex slash punching so so the feeling i got afterwards especially from sort of her attitude after it happened and stuff was that she may have just gone through with it rather than get beat up it does give you, when you see them together, once you realize sort of that aspect of the relationship, I think every time, at least for me, that you see them, regardless of what their attitude is towards each other, that it is, you know, it's very tense and you're kind of waiting for the other foot to drop, which I think is effective because that's probably the way Nicole Kidman is experiencing it. It's sort of the same, I can see this raising kind of the same kind of controversy and discussion um, that came about when the Fifty Shades of Grey movies came out, where people felt like it was sort of sensationalizing a little bit um, with the violent sex and everything, Um, because it was, it's hard to kind of read what's going on, and at the same time, there's some hints that it's not as not consensual as you think it might be, but it is, you know, and, and that it's not a healthy dynamic, but she's allowing it to continue. So I think I would suspect we're going to see some, you know, public kind of backlash and questioning about this and how it was portrayed. All right. So, Kevin, I have a question for you. OK. If one of our books was adapted by HBO as a series. <laughs> yeah. And then if you were the person at HBO, like writing the series that was based on one of our books. Which, by the way, that's not a hint, HBO, but I'm just saying. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> no, it could not. But anyway, it would be great if it did. If you were the showrunner for Big Little Lies, would you stay true to the book? Or would you change the outcome so that the audience who might have read your book might have a little something to watch that isn't exactly what they read? What do you think? Uh, okay, without having had read the book um, and knowing whether that's super satisfying, although I would imagine if they decided to put it on HBO, it probably is a really great story is how you get there. I think. Hey, keep pro- in mind, HBO also made a Game of Thrones, which doesn't even have an ending yet. That's true. That's true, yeah. <laughs> and they did change a few things around. I think that you're probably, only because the stories, these backstories are all leading in one direction, mm-hmm. that it's going to be the, the final confrontation between two characters. You probably can't start rewriting. It isn't like the piano is going to drop on Celeste instead of... Jane, you know, it's got to be two characters have been going for each other. So I probably would say I would keep it with where the book is, although I wouldn't be surprised if they switch it up. So everybody gets a a little shock. You wouldn't be surprised because they did that with True Blood. The first season stuck with the books and then famously departed from the books. Yeah, not Lafayette. Lafayette was supposed to to die. And all of a sudden he was like, yeah, that that, that HBO has done that before. So I guess we'll have to see. Broadchurch. Yes. When they did the U.S. version, they changed the ending on that. And uh, what was that series called here in the U.S.? Grace Point. Grace Point. Well, I guess the big question is, I made you guys all watch this because I watched it and I liked it. And I was like, we should talk about it. But I'm wondering, um, Laura, do you think our listeners, if they haven't tuned in yet to HBO's Big Little Lies, should they check it out? I think they should. Uh, It's definitely an improvement over True Detective Season 2. So uh, (laughs) the last HBO show we (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, and and it's 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 good because it's definitely got a lot of for me a lot of suspense and um, you know if nothing else you can look at the beautiful scenery. What about you, Toby? I'm curious to know what you think about Big Little Lies on HBO. I feel like I've been burned before on these things. <laughs> what, what do you mean, Toby? Well, I thought True Detective. I was loved the first three or four episodes, and then I thought it bombed at the end. Season one or season two? Season one. Season two bombed the entire way through. <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> you know, and then uh, and then even the night of, it was kind of totally intriguing, and then it was the end kind of petered out. So. What I'm going to say is I'm still optimistic in that I really like the, the first couple episodes. I'm definitely going to watch it, and I'm just going to hope for the best. What do you think, Kevin? Should our listeners watch Big Little Lies on HBO? Uh, yeah, I think so. I know that I will continue to watch it. I think people would dig it again. It, it, I was surprised when we first like you said, talked about this because it, it was not marketed like a whodunit. It certainly looked like it was scandal or shame not shameless what's the, the affair i thought it was going to be some sweeping romance i had no idea it was going to clearly be clearly you've never watched either one of those shows if you think that's what they are oh. <laughs> <laughs> just saying well those are marketed that way and uh, yeah for the so, ladies yeah you know I chick mean, shows chick shows <laughs> but that by the wa- way you love chick shows way more than i do i know well that's that's a little big lie there, there are some big little lies like you know having to spend an awful lot of money to get a great shave I like going to Harry's. Oh, Harry's, our old friends. <laughs> now I have, um, I have to make a confession. I ran out of Harry's razors. I actually Shut run out. It. I, I brought them with me someplace. I left them behind. Those were my razors in Mexico. I, and then I had to go and like go buy some razors. All right, <sighs> haven't done this in a while. Sure enough, I went to the store and didn't you know it? I had to go find somebody with that ring of keys. To open up the plastic thing for it's me, bullshit. And, it really still, is. and it was still, it was still five dollars for a plastic razor, mm. which is not cool. Which is why Harry's is probably the best way to get your shave on. They'll send you five German engineer blades in one cartridge center right to your house at a great price. Harry's razors include everything you need. Like I said, those five blades, the lubricating strip. It's got a flex hinge for a comfortable glide and a little trimmer blade for those hard-to-reach places. And it's got a weighted ergonomic handle because you don't want to get carpal tunnel shaving. Not when you have your lubricating strip, you don't. You you don't. (laughs) You absolutely don't. You know, now that I went back to the store and thought about my Harry's subscription... It's a great price because it's about $2 a blade compared to 4 or $5 when you buy them in the drugstore. Damn, that's a good deal. Toby, do you have a great Harry story you'd like to share with us? All the great Harry stories sort of end the same way, and that's what has satisfied me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've like, I think every member of my extended family now owns one. No, I'm all in on Harry's. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they want you to try their most popular trial set for free. That's right, for free. Wait, did you say free? I said free. It comes with a razor handle of your choice, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. So free when you sign up. You just pay a small fee for shipping. So to get that free trial offer, go to harrys.com slash crime right now. And that's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S, dot com slash crime. crime. Slash crime. Free razors. Yeah, don't be stupid. Just do it. I wish I'd known that before I went to such and such a drugstore. You mean CVS? And (laughs) I'm not going to pick on anybody. I'm not going to pick on anybody. It was 100% CVS. It's the only drugstore we have. It's okay. They're not a sponsor. Yes. Buy your razors at Harry's. Buy them at Harry's. (laughs) Dot com slash crime. Don't go to CVS. When they become a sponsor later, we'll totally delete this part. All right. What else do you want to talk about, Kevin? No, I'm sorry. It's the glasses. It's just the glasses, honey. We have to go to glasses.com slash crime? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I don't want you to Where are we, Parker? Them. Where have they been? Oh, I was going to say, oh, yeah, I could use some new sunglasses yeah. before April. Well, you know, whether you're a busy podcasting professional couple. Like or, me. Yeah, a, a large family that runs at breakneck speed. Also like me. Or someone who just wants to start cooking more. Hello Fresh makes it easier, tastier, and healthier than ever to enjoy cooking new recipes and eating together at home. I just want to say one thing. Yeah. I think we should read that brand name differently. I think it should be Hello Fresh. Should we do it like that? No, we shouldn't. I'm just joking. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you can uh, order three, four, or five different meals per week. 
in either portions for two people or four people. And they're very easy to make. New delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions that take uh, no more than 30 minutes. I was looking here at what I made the other night, and I had a lot of satisfaction in doing the duca chicken. I don't think yes. you're pronouncing that right. Are you pronouncing no. that right? Is duca. it duca? It is. Duca. Doing the duca. I got that one, too. It's an <laughs> yeah, addictive awesome. Egyptian seasoning with almond, sesames, and spices, and it's really easy to cook. I tell you, I'm not the greatest chef. You're really not. Uh, but I was able to follow along, and I was able to make a really good meal. And I also had a, like, a lot of satisfaction knowing that I made a quality meal for the kids and was able to put it on the table, and it was made with fresh ingredients, measured to the exact quantity so there's never any food waste, and you don't put in way too much cayenne pepper. And you were able to say, the doing the duca. Doing the duca. <laughs> duca chicken. Yeah, it's uh, it's just one of the great recipes that you can get from HelloFresh. Now, for 35... Wait, no, no, you mean HelloFresh. HelloFresh. <laughs> For $35 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com <laughs> and enter Crime35 when you subscribe. Like $35 off? Crime35 at, at HelloFresh. No. Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh. <laughs> okay, are we done with the sexy ad now? We are. Yeah. Now it is time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. I think we should all say it together. You guys ready? The crime, crime of, of, crime the, of the, week. the week. That was such a fail. An Ohio nursing home worker has been charged with a felony for giving a 100-year-old patient a lap dance. A <laughs> 100-year-old man. Authorities say Brittany Fultz, I didn't make that name up. <laughs> of course her name is Brittany. <laughs> flashed the man and grinded, it should be ground, on his leg while in the patient's room. And a video of the performance was captured on a co-worker's phone. I've seen it. Fultz's Several attorney, times. <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> Fultz's attorney says the whole thing was a prank and the man, quote, knew exactly what was going on. But police say the 100-year-old man has dementia and is so unable... So he doesn't know exactly what's going on. Yes, but it means he's unable to consent to any sexual imposition. So, panel, I think we can all agree the nursing home did the right thing by contacting the police and firing both sexually harassing workers, right? We can all agree, right? Yeah. 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 Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and though it's kind of like titillating that's a 100-year-old man, it still is sexual assault. Yes. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Right. You know how furious you would be if that was happening to like- Your, your great-grandpa? Your grandparents. Yeah. yeah. Or your it's, parents. It's, it's not good. Anyway. It's not good. But let's just, pre- let's just put our like actual outrage aside and uh, ask the question- how should the nursing home make it up to this guy? Uh, Toby, what do you think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> are, are there options? <laughs> I don't know. Extra helping of peach ice cream? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Laura? Is there any way for this nursing home to make it up to this poor man? How about we give him some Monopoly money and some mocktails? <laughs> you know? He'll feel good. It'll be good. What do you think, Kevin? How can we possibly make it up to this man for getting an involuntary lap dance from a nursing home worker? I think he needs a very cold sponge bath. <laughs> oh, jeez. We yeah. should probably end it on that note. Laura Bricker, I have a question for you before we end things. Do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week this week. It is a yoga practicing cat. named Hazel, belonging to Chelsea. And um, I picked Hazel because, you know, I'm thinking I should do some moving because I haven't really done anything in the last few days. And I was like, yoga with cats. I could get behind that. So, (laughs) (laughs) All right, Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to tweet to you and submit their cats for Cat of the Week on this podcast, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if our listeners want to tweet to you and, uh, I don't know, just tweet to you. How can they do that on Twitter? Just tweet to me. It's uh, at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to reach you on Twitter, I don't know, maybe ask you how they can listen to your other podcast. These are their stories, the Law and Order podcast. How can they reach you on Twitter? They can get me at Kevin P. Flynn. And we should mention this week's These Are Their Stories features a legit famous comedian. Yeah, Jimmy Pardo. No relation to Don Pardo. No relation to Don Pardo. <laughs> 
good it episode. It is pretty great. Check it out. And if you want to tweet with me or find me on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Our show is also on Twitter at CrimeWritersOn. And you can also send us an email at CrimeWritersOn at gmail.com. Don't forget to head over to our website where you can sign up for our newsletter and buy stuff using our Amazon link. Before you close your podcast app, leave an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. And do check out These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. Our handsome line producer is Henry Lavoy. Our theme music was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio at Partners in Crime Media, a.k.a. The Closet in Our Basement, formerly known as Studio C, sometimes overwhelmed with the sounds of our furnace. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Are you guys ready? We're just going to start. It's going to happen. We don't know what we're talking about and what we're doing. We're just going to start. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed PI, and totally non-competitive Monterey mom, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Laura? Oh, we lost her. Hold on. Oh, fuck. We lost Laura oh, Bricker? Get, click her. <laughs> Hello. I just introduced there, you and you weren't even there. I'm going to introduce you like, again. What happened? I don't know. I'm going to introduce you again. You ready? Okay. Partners in crime media. Moms wear lots of hats with phones keeping them connected to everyone. Whether communicating with teachers, family members, or coworkers, moms can always be counted on to be a step ahead. Likewise, you need a provider that you can rely on. Total Wireless. With nationwide coverage on America's largest and most dependable networks, unlimited talk and text starting at just $35 a month, and family plans starting at $25 a month, Total Wireless offers first-class, affordable service. Go to TotalWireless.com to learn more. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day, and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.